Welcome to the Knife Journal Podcast. This is episode 114. And today I have a special interview with Brian Abbott and Paul Schwimmer. Hi, y'all. Today I'd like to uh, share with you a very special interview that we recorded a couple days ago live, um, releasing it for this Memorial Day to um, remind you a little bit about what Memorial Day is really about. Um, this is an interview uh, that I did with um, a fellow, a good friend of mine by the name of uh, Brian Abbott and uh, another new friend uh, by the name of Paul Schwimmer. Um, these guys are uh, part of an effort to bring uh, our Missing in Action boys home from uh, some of the incursions uh, over the past couple years. Actually over the past almost a hundred years. Um, they're working on a project in uh, the Pacific right now. And without further ado, um, here's that interview. The largest fleet ever assembled in the Pacific. Battleships, cruisers, carriers, and transports steams for Tarawa. Hi guys, hey, I'm live here with Brian Abbott and Paul Schwimmer, and we are going to talk about uh, World War II MIAs in the Pacific and the recovery effort that's ongoing uh, on those lines. So it's kind of an interesting topic, and um, we've got some guys with some pretty good stories. Paul, welcome, welcome aboard, man. Start telling your stories. <laughs> Oh, where do you start? Um, well, Brian and I have done two missions so far together. I think the first one was in 2016. That was on the island of Tarawa. Uh, we lost a thousand Marines in that. But they've recovered on the island uh, so far. But Brian and I were also interested in going out into the lagoon uh, where the landing craft attempted to come and uh, Brian, with his expertise, uh, can take it from here and tell you what we got on that mission. Yeah, it's um, Paul and I, I'll take a step back a little bit and regress. Paul and I met at a Michigan Surveyors Conference down near Detroit. I was giving a talk on underwater acoustics. And uh, so within a year or so, Paul invited me to go to Tarawa, and I took a piece of kit over there called a scanning sonar. And it sits on a tripod on bottom, spins around, takes an image of the bottom. And, and uh, Paul had been there a few times before, so he kind of knew the layout of the land. And uh, so we ended up renting a boat from um, a local uh, marina there. And we were out in the lagoon for about two weeks. And we ended up finding about 12 different types of vehicles. Uh, we found tanks. We found landing craft, Higgins boats, LVTs. Uh, it was quite surprising to me that we were 
we found that many vehicles, and I'm not sure that uh, these vehicles were known about either because uh, Paul did the diving, I ran the uh, the combox and the sonar, putting them on targets. And uh, Paul, you can talk about a little bit about what you found on these tanks and uh, vehicles that we uh, uh, located. Yeah, we have to go back a little bit farther than that, Brian, because for some reason the weather was horrific. Yeah, it was. You know, we had footers coming in on us in the lagoon. Um, in Tarawa, which is a third world, fourth world, fifth world nation, the winch on the anchor didn't work, so we had four locals that were trying to pull the anchor up. And there was a there was a 40-footer we were on, 35, 40-footer. And um, we'd set the anchor, and we'd get dragged across the lagoon, and, well, Brian needed a stationary. So a um, couple days we've been doing this, struggling, and then one day we just stopped cold. We thought, okay, the anchor had a chunk of coral. And Brian did this thing. And there's something on and uh, we tried to raise an anchor and we couldn't. So one of the local boys, he free dove down. He comes back up and he's trying to tell us that you know we we read a wreck. And so um, Kristen Baker, who is our archaeologist uh, and a diver, she and I suited up and we went down the anchor line. And I'll be damned if uh, that anchor line and the 20 foot of chain were not wrapped through the bogey wheels of an M3 Stewart tank laying on its top. <laughs> So that was one of the first new tanks that we found. Now, yeah. did you guys, uh, uh, were you guys attempting to do recoveries at that time or just no. identify the wrecks? You know, all the tanks have got UXO in them. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, um, this, this was a pilot project to see about doing the rest of the lagoon. And there is some interest in having us go back there to do it, but... Uh, we were finding them, marking them. Uh, we were laying on the bottom, looking inside the best we could. Uh, a year before, we had found one tank and put a camera into it. But no, we were just uh, we were getting trying to get as much land covered as possible. And the real bull out there, of course, is the one remaining B-24 bomber that crashed. And uh, we took a stab at that, and then I uh, had to go back and work on our our pilot project. So. What has to happen now is that the Navy has to come in, somebody has to come in, pick those vehicles up off the bottom, open them up, take the unexploded ordnance out of them, and then we'll put our tiniest little archaeologist in there, yeah. you know, head first, higher by her feet, yeah. and let her go in there and see if the kids are there. <laughs> yeah, because I was amazed with the sonar was showing us crates of mortar rounds, 50 cal, grenades. They're still on bottom around these vehicles and stuff, so it's it's been a really... Uh, a touchy thing. I mean, we did have EOD people working with us and so forth to make sure things were handled and properly uh, done uh, there. But we, uh, uh, it's like Paul said, there's still a ton of unexploded ordnance around these vehicles. One of the other problems we had is that the, the lagoon is, is uh, was at that time and probably is still highly, highly polluted. Uh, with a lot of human waste, there's not a good sanitation uh, on this island. So we're wearing full face masks. And then we also had a silting problem where uh, you had some good viz down to about uh, oh, 15 feet, and then you went into this milk. And, uh, I, we, you know, we called it mud pupping. You know, we'd lower ourselves all the way to the bottom and just use our hands and pull ourselves along the bottom. 
and Brian would talk us because if he had this special sonar he had, he could visually watch us on the bottom, and he would talk us right into the targets. And, you know, you'd be going along with one-meter vis, and all of a sudden here's this right. tank or a landing. Um, the thing that messes me up is when you're mud pumping across the bottom, you come across the helmet or a gas mask or something like that, and you knew that there was a kid yeah. there. So it uh, it weighs on you when you do as you well oh, probably yeah. know. Uh, James is it weighs oh, yeah. on you. Yeah, well, and and it's as I try to explain it to some people sometime about you know because they'll inevitably someone will say why why are you doing that seriously why have you been doing this yep. for so long and the only thing I can come up with is the families need to know that this is that this is over for them that there's closure that they have they can have some kind of a service or a funeral and. And it's it, knowing that you're doing something like that is what seems to make it work. Because, you know, I always hear people, oh, don't you have nightmares? Don't you have, don't, you know, the first time you bagged somebody, didn't you, uh, did, you know, didn't, you know, didn't that bother you quite a bit? And, you know, and I'll say, no, not really. That's not, you don't think about that. It's like you're... It's like you have this armor. The armor that you're you're wearing is the knowledge that you're going to have provide closure for somebody. And uh, my uh, yeah, my armor was pseudo. My armor was PTSD, and it I lost four years trying to figure out what I what I was going through. Um, and then you know not I wanted I just wanted someone to tell me what I was feeling. And then uh, one of my docs finally picked it up, and uh, so I just drink now. You know, I'm not being funny. I just, you know, when I'm doing recoveries at the evening, I drink. Um, it's it's not normal what we do. It's, it's not normal. Well, I think. But you're absolutely right. When you bring the kids home, right. um, you know, I was just down in Marion, Indiana, for a funeral, what three weeks ago, and it doesn't matter if they died 70 years ago or in your case, you know, a right. month ago. People still care, yeah. and and they have to. Uh, and it, well, especially um, some of these guys that have that have passed, uh, even you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, there are still people that care. That's there are still people that that this oh. that this is uh, this affects them. There's uncles and aunts and or you know they were uncles and aunts and and grandfathers of 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 people that only knew them for a short period of time or didn't know them at all or just heard the stories about their lives. Well, one of the things that I found interesting is we're also helping another gentleman. I won't say his name except for his first name. And Tom, and he only met his dad once, and he was three months old. His father disappeared on a flight uh, bombing run up to Venice, Italy. Then the plane fell apart, flew up over the North Adriatic. And... Uh, by the grace of God, about five, six years ago, a fisherman dragged up a uh, 50 caliber machine gun that that serial number on the machine gun matches his father's plane. So, you know, it, it gives from a, you know, 20,000 square mile area down to a, maybe a 50 square mile area where, um, where this plane could be. But just working with these people to give them some closure about their life and so forth, this to me, it's, I don't think I could do anything better in my life and I've done a lot of different things and uh, to give these people some form of closure I think it's critically important it's huge 
It is huge, and it doesn't matter if it's the, you know, uh, well, it does. It does matter if somebody dies. One of our servicemen dies in war, or somebody jumps off a boat and goes right to the bottom. Uh, and, you know, yep. when it happened two days ago, uh, the, the family still need to be, you know, still need closure. Um, the thing that, that really bothered me for a long time when uh, was the story about Tarawa and how long it was that everybody was there and the way they were buried, that that bothered me quite a bit. I thought that was pretty disrespectful to for our government to do something well, like that. I don't know if people may not understand, but after the war was over, they, they you know they had the cemeteries there and everything. Paul can speak to this too, but they brought back an island population and it just exploded on the island. And I think it's upwards of, you know, this island's a half mile wide and maybe what four miles long, Paul? Five? No, no, it's three quarter <clears throat> miles long by maybe six. Meters yeah, wide. there's thirty five thousand people live on this island. Yeah, and well, it's just insane. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's open raw sewage. Um, yeah, they built buildings on top of the cemeteries. Uh, History Flight has gone in there and had literally jacked up buildings around the harbor and dug underneath the building to remove the remains of our boys that were left there. Well, the thing that got me was if you look at the uh, the statistics that how many people <clears throat> died there on the island, how many soldiers and sailors and, and Marines that died on the island, and then you look at the number that they recovered; it doesn't jive. There's they they there were more soldiers, Marines, and uh, Navy personnel were recovered than what this than what the government claims that, that we lost. And so it led. Well, you have to guys. You know, it was so hot there that they were using bulldozer trenches, and they picked the boys up in their <clears> ponchos and. Uh, you know, I was pretty naive at first when we thought they'd put them head to toe, head to toe. Well, they didn't. You know, they had to get them in the ground as right. fast as they could, so they just literally threw them into the bottom of the trenches. And when we do the recoveries in those trenches, you know, the kids, uh, they're spooned together. They're sprawled on top of one another. It's like, um, it's like a mass, just a mass grave. It is, but... Uh, Everybody, you know, people don't realize, but when you when you when you get the next boy in procession, and you clean off the poncho and you photograph and measure it, the first thing you do when you pull the poncho off is you have to disarm the kid. Yeah. Uh, the most we ever did was five hand grenades on one boy that came in, and and the thing that gets you as you as you're recovering this boy in the wall, uh, the next boy starting to show himself, you know, going here I am, you right. know, come get me. Right. So. Um, yeah, there was a thousand Marines dead. Uh, I was in, uh, I've been to Tarawa seven times now and I've done recoveries. Uh, we did the 10 one time. We got the Medal of Honor recipient, uh, uh, Lieutenant Alexander Bonneman. He was one of the guys we got. I went back. Um, they called me up and then said, uh, they had four kids under a house and they wanted to know if I could go back, which we did. My team did. And they had bought the house, tore it down, and just pulled the foundation when we got there. Um, I never got to those four kids because we found three more on the way down. And I work for a living, so I can only give, you know, two weeks at a time right. for this. But, uh, um, yeah, so we just found, uh, I understand they just found Lost Road D. Oh, really? Okay, a good. Cemetery 33 yeah. in Tarawa. 
and there's supposed to be 47 kids in there, and the teams are extracting them right now. And that is that's Tower. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, to Yap. <laughs> yeah, Yap is Yap is a whole nother story, right? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, in the middle of nowhere. I've been on 22 missions so far. It's, okay, it's nowhere. I mean, it's the end of the line. There's, but as every to me, Yap was so much different than Tarawa. Why Tarawa was kind of like third world, third world, fourth, fifth, sixth world. Yap wasn't. I found Yap a, a great place, and I found it fairly clean and uh, great people and stuff like that. There, I I had a wonderful time there. You know, I know we we're there for different, totally different reason, but. But the guys the at the dive shop and the hotel and everything I thought were phenomenal and stuff. And yep, yeah, and yep. Uh, they had in 2006 they found uh, a U.S. Navy Hellcat that had uh, impacted, uh, been shot down. There had been a mid-air collision that went down. And our focus was to go back with Brian's technology <clears throat> and to see if we could get the main fuselage, especially the cockpit mm -hmm. area. And so we did, uh, we did 20 dives, uh, 35 feet down to 105. And what we ended up doing was focusing on collecting all the wreckage or locating all the wreckage we could along the reef, <clears throat> condensing to that where we thought the impact site was. And then we went down into the, the bottom of the lagoon, and that's where we started. Uh, we think we've got the cockpit area. And Brian can tell you what we pulled up on that. Yeah, we, we pulled up a lot of components of the plane and so forth. We picked stuff up on sonar. It was a very difficult site to use sonar on, uh, being in the middle of a reef. And it was a very, was it, at least probably a good 45, 50 degree slope from about. Uh, it could be a little steeper okay. than that. Yeah, it could be. You had, to, you had to watch, when you were working on the reef, you had to try to keep your head up to make sure nothing was yeah. coming down. It was that yeah. steep. All dead. The, the reef was yeah. all dead. What's it now? That's from the pollution from the island, or what? What was the? I'm not really sure. I don't. I, yeah, I, I, no. The, that that island's pretty clean. I think it was just a natural transgression. The, the the reefs around the outside were beautiful, they say, but we never got to see them. Uh, just in this area. So when we say we were pulling parts up, we were not destroying the reef yeah. at all. Um, but it's also important to note that every part we pulled up and photographed and identified, we put right back down yeah. again. Um, yeah, and as soon as we look... So our... No, go ahead, Paul. I'm saying when we got done, um, I remember we I was laying on the bottom. Probably my hands were shoved down in about two feet of straight muck, and I was trying to follow these electric cables uh, to see another piece of fuselage, and Rick Smith... Our master diver, uh, visibility at that time was absolutely zero. And I felt this tap on my shoulder, and I put air into my BC, and I went up, and Rick had part of the cockpit dashboard in his hands. And as soon as I saw that, I called it off. I go, okay, we're here. You know, this is beyond our expertise. I don't want to disturb the boy if he's down in this area. So at that point, we, we called the search off now, at that point, and we felt that we had done as And that's where the, where the Navy would provide an underwater archaeologist or yes, or whatever yeah. their, their protocol is for, for recovering? Yes. Yeah. Yep. We don't have the funds. We, we would not have the, the money to go in there and, and to do that kind of a recovery. Plus, I, you know, the worst thing, you, you know, the, the biggest fear you have is, is destroying right. evidence. You know, if you've only got a small fragment, 
when we do the recoveries in Europe and, and you're finding, you know, if you're lucky, five or six pieces of the boy, well, that's enough, you know, as long as you do an identification. But, you know, so you don't want to destroy yeah. anything. On Tarawa, we're finding the complete yeah. boys. Uh, but on Yap, you know, we need to turn that one over to the federal yeah. government and let them bring yeah. in their team. Uh, we, uh, there's also on Yap two missing uh, B-24 bombers. One is uh, located, that we believe, outside the main channel on the east side of the island, and the other is located in the southwest corner off off the reef maybe, but it gets very deep very fast outside the reef there. And we tried to, we went inside the channel, we worked the channel, because there is uh, evidence from a gentleman that lived on the island, he's now deceased, that said he's seen the plane crash as a boy. And it it didn't really crash. It floated. It, it landed and floated, and a couple of people on board the uh, plane were able to get off and swim to the uh, reef. But the Japanese patrol picked them up, and we're not sure what happened to them. Uh, I think they believe they were sent to Palau, but they may have been uh, uh, executed on Palau or not. We're just not sure what happened to these. But, you know, that's another reason that we need to go back because, uh, uh, you know, we have, I don't know what the crew size was. It'll be 24, 8 to 10 men. And, uh, you know, there's 20 men right there that are missing that need to be found. Be 24. Let's see if I got a picture of one. Yeah, there should be, uh, there should be eight more kids on that B-24. Yeah. You know, we tried. We took a couple yeah. stabs at going after that one. But with the trade winds coming in, the surf breaking on the the reef and the tides coming out, the IDHL was just too high, immediate danger to health and life, and we called that mm -hmm. off too. Uh, we're going to go back if we can raise the funds. We're going to go back when the doldrums are there and then uh, different equipment, but it just got it got too dangerous yeah, we just, for us, and so we wisely pulled. Yeah, yeah. we we did uh, um, coming into the uh, channel. We we went and explored the channel for uh, several. Oh, probably at least a quarter mile. We probably did about 25 different sonar drops up and down the channel that comes in there and so forth. But uh, just trying to get outside that channel was really, really a, a difficult situation. But I got to admit, we had I, I was really happy. The boat I thought was excellent that we were able to obtain, and and the crew I thought was fantastic. They really worked their butts off for us, and uh, uh, pick, because it's not an easy thing to do, pick that tripod up and down all day long and. Those guys did it for us, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, so, but they're not 36. You know, they're a lot younger, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember the first day. I remember the first day when we got on board, and I'm counting the air tanks. And I go, I'm looking at them. I go, where are my tanks? And they're looking at me going, you're going to dive? And I go, well, yeah, I'm going to dive. Why wouldn't you think I would? Well, how old are you, sir? I go, what has that got to do with anything? You young punks not behind your kid? And so then uh, after the first day, we were yeah, they, they had to put my uh, They had to put my harness on because my left arm doesn't work. <laughs> but they'd clip me in, we'd roll off, and then uh, Brian would talk to us. You know, and it was safe. You know, with the communication on board, you know, with Brian being able to talk to us, the only complaint I have about Brian, <laughs> and especially in Tarawa, when I was diving solo, and then I'd come up, you know, you couldn't see anything. You'd come up and you would, you know, he would play the tape and you could see me swimming toward a wreck. 
and then you would see something very large about 10 meters from me, and you go, Brian, what, what is that? And he goes, well, I don't know. It looks like a very large fish, doesn't it? <laughs> you got, I didn't think you had an issue with that. Just let you know what's going on. So, Out of sight, yeah. out of mind, baby. If I couldn't see it, I couldn't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, so. you won't, a fish that big take a big bite. You won't, you well, won't notice it. that was one thing that was kind of cool. We'd see these swarms on the sonar a couple of times, and and I started uh, asking uh, Mikey and Charlie, uh, our two uh, divers from uh, Yap Divers Resort, and uh, they'd say, oh, those are barracuda swarming through things. So uh, uh, we, we'd have those types of uh, things keep us uh, on our toes and so forth. So uh, it was good. That's that's that that's really strange because that's the first time I ever heard that story. As I well, was you would always day. ignore me. You wouldn't you wouldn't <laughs> listen to me what I had to say anyway. So. All right, let's talk about what's let's talk about what's going to happen yeah, in the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're trying to raise funds. Um, we want to go back. We want to go after the B twenty four bombers. We want to go after Anderson's bomber that may be within our striking yep. distance. Uh, it's going to take a different set of gear, different funding. Um, we're trying to get an estimate right now. Um, I had a source of funding, and uh, and uh, that's no longer viable. So we're trying GoFundMe. We're trying billboards. It's not working very well. But uh, everybody loves what we do. Why did I just lose you? Mystery flight wants us to go back into the okay. lagoon. And expand that search too, but it just—it's going to take yeah. money, and we don't have the money yeah, right now. What we need to the equipment that we need is uh, side scan, which is easy to get. But we'll be working in possibly, you know, 800 to 1,000 feet of water, and you're going to need a cable one to, you know, one to three, one to four ratio of depth to length. So if we're in 100 feet of water, we're going to be needing a 400 foot cable. And I'm not diving that deep. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to dive that deep. So <laughs> we've got this possibility of, uh, I think I think these are, like Paul said, are very obtainable. We just need the right setup, and we need uh, a right, uh, you know, if we get the guys back on the boat and stuff like this, I think they could do a really good job, but we need a different type of setup to go do that. So Somebody's got to go find them, yes. Brian, and it might as well be. I agree 100%. That's, like I said, if I could do this for the rest of my life, I'd be a very happy camper. So. Yep. I definitely agree. So like, so like I said, I've got a standing invitation to go to Europe all okay. summer long. We've got five bombers uh, under a group called History Flight, another group we work with. Uh, so we've got five bombers over there that uh, we're trying to get people to go work on the digs. And then... Um, it sounds like we're trying to put a team together for YAP for 2020. Okay. Uh, the only difference is I'll be 71 instead of 70. you, you got to start lying at a lot of earlier age. <laughs> so, so for... Well, thank goodness. That's one thing I so don't So for do. 20 years, I lied and said I was, I was 36. A couple years ago, a couple years yeah. ago I said, uh, it's time for me to... You know, basically, for the next 20 years, say, man, man up, up and say that I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. that's, uh, that's, that's how you do it. And, and I tell you what, 
your age is 100% mental. I do believe that. If you act, if you act like a child, like I do, long enough, you'll eventually stay young. You'll continue to stay young. Yeah, my wife is. My wife has accused me of never yeah. growing up. Oh yeah, up. trust me, I know. Uh, which, which fine me. I think that's part. So the MIA. I think Go that's ahead. part of the the explorer mentality. I think that is actually what keeps explorers going is the fact that they're still children. Yeah, trapped mm -hmm. inside us. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the MI, um, you know, when we started this, uh, I've been in it for 10 years now. Like I said, I've done 22 missions. It was all self-funded. Um, and now um, we had some pretty big contributors for a while to the point of like $1.3 a year. Uh, we were getting funded. And then um, the government uh, finally started funding us. Um, but that's another whole different scenario. Um, I don't want to badmouth the government, but uh, thank you for funding us. But it's just it's it's the status of funding. Um, we've probably got Mark Noah, the founder of History Flight, says he's got 100 folders on his desk of kids we can go get right now. Come on. You know, the best we've done so far is we bought one boy home who had three out of four surviving siblings come meet the airplane. Uh, when we bought Don Underwood home to Detroit, his brother George met the airplane. Um, and then we, uh, we, we took them down. Uh, these kids are heroes, you know, and nobody can tell me that people don't yeah. care. Uh, we got the B-26 bomber in Belgium. The sister flew out there. I'm sure she kidnapped that Belgium Catholic priest, and he came out and did a service because that's as close to her brother as she was ever going to be again. Uh, when we got uh, Curtis in uh, Normandy two years ago, you know, the villagers were out there helping to dig. You know, they haven't forgotten that this American boy, you know, died in a P-47 Thunderbolt, you know, freeing them. They had two services out there. Every day we went to Curtis's on the picnic table was a vase with a fresh flower. And, you know, there was a picture of him. And uh, two of the old boys that showed up every day, we had to help them get out of their cars, but they would carry buckets of material from the dig to the screens. They were paying it back. So, yeah, people care. Marie, as long as we can keep going. You know, we're going. one of the, I think, coolest things that's ever happened to me is that after I got back from that first trip to Tarawa with you, uh, long story short, I was actually able to meet and interview a gentleman that landed on Green Beach at Tarawa. And he did Tarawa yeah. and Peleliu, and to talk to him about what we were finding and showing him pictures of the beaches and, and that when the areas, um, that was pretty traumatic for him. And it was also very, very humbling to me to meet somebody that had gone through those experiences like that and to say that you're doing the right thing and you're bringing my people home to me was really critically important to me to to because like you've told me there's almost what a hundred thousand missing americans in the in the 20th century from all the 83,000 80, maybe it's around 80,000 80, now because i know they've been finding boys yeah most of them yeah you know so to you know bring those people home i think is extremely critical and important to us as a nation so what, right. like a, you know, if I can talk, if I can talk right to your audience, 
you know, on the island of Yap, there's a there's a uh, a Hellcat that crashed into the hillside. The boy is still there. I mean, we just need the money to go bring this American home. You know, we'll go. We'll go into the jungle. We'll bring the boy. But gosh, you know, one of my uh, friends who does this with me added up our pro bono and uh, the time lost at work, and we're up to about $400,000 a piece on what we could yeah. have done if we hadn't gone after these boys. That's how important it is. We just need the funding to go get yeah. these kids. Yeah, that... There, there's my... <laughs> well, we'll see if we can't get that get that going your direction. So. Yep. Yeah, because it's uh, it, it is Not expensive, and people don't realize how far that is out in the middle of absolute nowhere. Well, to give you a case in point, it's it's it, we left from Detroit with about twenty boxes of luggage, and we flew from Detroit to Denver it was a four hour flight. Denver to Hawaii was eight hours. Hawaii to Guam was eight hours. Then it's about a two hour flight from Guam. To yap, and you don't get in at two o'clock in the afternoon at yap. You arrive at one thirty in the morning their time, and uh, uh, so it's it. You know the people are are fantastic. I think one of the the coolest things I've ever seen is that where it's like two o'clock, two thirty in the morning. We're waiting for our flight, and we're just kind of BSing and stuff. And up walks our ship captain, and he's he's meeting us at the airport to make sure that everything went okay for us. And that we were going to get off her right and to say goodbye to us. I mean, that's the type of people they were. And, uh, uh, yeah, so what can you say? I mean, it was just a, a, a great experience. But I think, like Paul said, it's we have to go find these boys and bring them home. It's the only way to do it. Well, when this is when our live stream is done, um, I'm going to go and uh, add some links and stuff to this, to, to this video. And... Um, Put your GoFundMe page up and some of the other, uh, I'll probably do a, um, a slideshow of what you guys are doing on this last trip. Uh, Brian showed me a bunch of pictures and sure. uh, we'll, I'll put them together in a little slideshow and you know, people can see that you're not just uh, you know going out there on vacation. Um, no, we work. We worked every day from the, the from yeah. we got in at we got to the hotel at three o'clock in the morning, something like that, three thirty in the morning, and we were all of us were up, all three of us were up by nine, going over, getting our boats, getting our dive gear, making sure the sonar operations. We were out on the water that day, and we worked all up until the day before we had to leave because you you don't want these you know I'm worried about these old guys diving and stuff. I don't want them you know blowing bubbles when they're flying and stuff like that so uh so we had to stop uh 24 hours before we took off and flying and stuff but we worked you know and, and it was 10 and 12 know, hour days these trips you know? like that too a lot of people don't realize how it takes a week to recover when you get home oh yeah uh, you know i mean that is a yeah. that is tough that is uh, tough going you, a lot of people do not realize Traveling like that for two weeks, when it takes you two days of travel time or three days of travel time, it takes you a couple days to recover. Um, I, and plus, I had been to the Philippines like two weeks before that. Uh, we were going after the Cabana Tawan POW camp. And so I was in the Philippines for two weeks, flew home for a week, and then uh, Brian uh, came over and off we went to, uh, to Yap. 
That'd have been tough. Uh, I don't know as I'd have come home. Yeah, it's. it's I think I'd have just gone from one to the other. Yeah, but I, you know, I've run my business full time. It got to the point, especially Tarawa. Um, you know, I would come home, and, and my wife and my son would want me to go to the Holiday Inn for a week because I'd always come home sick, either <laughs> dengue fever or some kind of uh, fungal respiratory stuff. Or when I came back from Vietnam, I forget what I bought home from there. But, you know, you're flying on these long-distance airplanes. Everybody's coughing. The locals are getting you, you know, sick. The food's getting you sick. Um, in fact, in Tarawa, we found out, to be fully honest, that the older guys my age, we, we just we really should not go back. In fact, the last two times I did go back, it was against doctor's orders. Our immune systems just cannot fight off those diseases that they have there. You know, it took me three months the last time I came home to, uh, you know, to quit coughing. Well, you know, in our case... It's, I guess it's a, yeah. a small... But, you know, it's like Tarawa, yeah, you know, it's home. the middle of the Pacific, and it's like everyone thinks it's great, but our, on our way back, it took us 56 hours to get home. You know, once by the time we're door yeah, to door. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was, you know, that kicked my butt for a few days. I mean, you're staying up till four or five o'clock in the morning and you got to like I run my own company like Paul does and you got to be at work at eight o'clock or whatever so it's uh it's not an easy thing to do it takes a few days to to uh get back into the swing of things I've always been kind of lucky I can sleep on a two by four on edge so my sleeping ability is well I can sleep too but it's just yeah you know you it's you look at the watch and like Tara was 17 hours ahead in Eastern time, so you're like a day and a half and it's noon and it's midnight at home and it's you know uh, six o'clock the next day and so forth. So it's just it really uh, messes you up for a while. Yeah. It's, well, it's a good it's a good cause and it needs to be done. Um, I I sometimes feel ashamed that our government hasn't like just said you know what this is we need to get this done. You know, they're too busy, I guess, worrying about the fleas or something. It's too, it's too involved. Yeah, it's too involved. You know, it takes research. It takes teams. You have to do the bring the boy home. They have to do the identification. Then they have to find their relatives. And then they have to put together, you know, bringing the boy home and then the ceremony. Um, you know, they've been doing it for a while. God bless them for doing it. Uh, now they're letting the, the private sector give them a hand, and so we're getting them. We're getting them one at we, at first. We got them one at a time. Now we're bringing them home four and five at a time. That's good. And it's just is there incredible. is there still a lot of MIAs in Vietnam? No, I think there's about sixteen hundred. They say maybe eight hundred are recoverable, but you know you're back in a jungle. You know, of, uh, uh, you know type of climate, and uh, some of those are you know it's pretty yeah, tough to yeah. get into, get out of. And once again, you need to search. You need to find them. Uh, I've been asked to be put on, embedded with the next team that goes to Kotang uh, uh, Island uh, for the last three Marines killed in the last battle. But I don't think uh, the government will ever let me go there. But I've offered. I offered to go to North Korea uh, when they started bringing kids back uh, and uh, never heard back from them on that. I'll go anywhere, man. If there's an American boy there, we'll go. We'll go get him. Very good. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's At least a big, I can do. I mean, that's we should be very grateful and not forget them. No, absolutely yeah. not. Never forget so. them. 
Well, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and I'll add some stuff to this video, and like I said, with your GoFundMe page, and we'll try to get some uh, get some interest fired up and and uh, and push it forward for you. If you've got some big corporation dude listening to these, yep. buddy, yeah. we need you. You know, we need we need some serious funding, and we'll go get we'll bring the boys home. In fact, you get a big corporation that'll fund us. We'll take the dude <laughs> with us. Yep. Or yeah. we'll take his kid with us. Or we'll take his veteran employee with us. Yep. All right. All right. Well, uh, well, let's, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with circling around maybe in a month or so and doing this again if it's if it's, it's okay with you. Doesn't matter to uh, me. I think uh, we'll keep this on the front of sure. everybody's uh, brain that way and uh, keep pushing. God willing, God willing, we'll do Sounds the next good. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. That'd be cool. <laughs> live from Yap. Yeah, live from Yap. That'll be really good. All right, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get this up and running and uh, talk to you again soon. All right, Thanks, man. Thanks, Paul. Paul. Yeah, good to see you. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, as we spoke about in the... Um, in the interview, there's been a GoFundMe page set up to help fund the next mission uh, to go to um, Yap, the island of Yap. And it is, uh, you go to GoFundMe.com and uh, search for American MIA POW recovery in Micronesia. And anything you can do would be helpful, uh, and I'm sure they, they would appreciate it. Um, and we all should appreciate it. They're going to bring our soldiers, sailors, and airmen home that made the ultimate sacrifice. They paid the ultimate sacrifice for your freedom. And so um, we feel it's a very worthy cause to get this done. So with that, I'm going to be signing off. Take care. And uh, this is Memorial uh, Day weekend this weekend, so... Please remember what Memorial Day is about. Um, it's about those individuals. I'm Jim Noka. God bless.